Welcome to Turn of the Century, a podcast about the turn of the 20th century. I'm Joe Hawthorne, and today we're taking a deep dive into Tampa and South Florida history. As some of you may know, I'm very interested in the story of David Fagan, Buffalo soldier that defected in the Philippines and led a campaign of vengeance on his own troops before disappearing an active volcano. I stumbled upon Ursula Odom's book on African-American history in Tampa Bay, and the local librarian suggested that I reach out. Ursula and I talk about the early history of Tampa, the Black diaspora after the Civil War, and the realities of growing up in this pocket of the U.S. This is a really rich history that helps us understand the South during Reconstruction and after. If you're still stuck at home, let's take a short trip down to sunny Florida. Hello, everyone. Today, we're talking with writer, publisher, keynote speaker, historical performer, Ursula Odom. Ursula, thanks so much for talking today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited about it. (laughs) Me too. So today, we're talking about Tampa history, and I'm particularly interested in the African-American community at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, As many of you may know, I'm researching the disappearance and the story of David Fagan, and I'm fascinated by his early years in Florida. So we're going to use him as a kind of um, avatar or touch point to talk more about the area and the history. So first of all, you know, uh, this is something we talk about a lot is what is the turn of the century? What is uh, the kind of end of the 19th century? And to go back a little farther, David Fagan's parents were enslaved. And they traveled to Florida. So they were living in other states in the U.S. South. So just to back up and give us context about Tampa, at the end of the Civil War, the, let's say, 1860s, 1870s, Ursula, can you describe what was Tampa like? What can we imagine Tampa um, at that time? Well, It was quite undeveloped, as you might imagine. Um, They talk about a lot of muddy roads and things like that and near the water. So there was um, quite the the adventure of being in the area. But what I found that I found um, really exciting is that after the war, a lot of African-Americans were really entrepreneurial and they were speculators as far as land is concerned. They were going after making their lives better in a lot of different areas. So you found that churches, schools, um, businesses are using their skills were paramount for them at that point in time. They were free and um, they could then begin to get paid for the things that they were doing. So it was a, an exciting time for them between 65 and, say, before Jim Crow started. Right. And so we're going to get into more depth about that. But on the more positive side, at the end of the Civil War, or the, the optimistic point at the end of the Civil War, why Tampa? Why this undeveloped area? Um, and I, as I'm saying that, I realize, you know, people like to go where there's opportunity, where it's kind of undeveloped. But what were some of the draws of this area of Florida? Well, in some of the other areas, there were um, 
I hate to say which county, but they weren't being treated very well. So a lot of people came here looking for a place where there was a little bit more harmony because the word had gotten out that it was a little bit more harmonious to be in Tampa. Um, And so people actually came here on their free will. And then others were brought here um, when slavery ended because they they had to bring them someplace where they could begin to build a life for themselves. So it was two things that happened. When you say brought, do you talking about um, children and families or, or who else could be brought here? Well, if you remember, we were talking about enslaved ind- individuals at the end of the, the war and they went from being in the possession of another human being, another adult, to no longer being in their possession as property. So that presented a problem for the, the um, enslaved, well, the owners. So they had to do something because they couldn't support them or, or didn't have any use for them anymore because they were not free labor anymore. So they moved them away from them in some cases. And Tampa was one of those places they brought them. Understood. And so then how does life progress um, how does the community progress from, let's say, end of Reconstruction towards the turn of the 20th century, towards 1900? You kind of alluded to it, but what are some of the positive and negative changes that happen at the tail end of the century? Okay, so when you say at the end of Reconstruction, that is something that I have found to be consistent with when people talk about the area. From 1865 to 1898, they say not much happened. But in fact, a lot happened during that time frame. That is the time frame where African-Americans came into um, their own, even in political situations where they helped um, create the city in terms of determining how it would be governed. They were, they, they um, were appointed to different positions within the city and actually laid out how Tampa would be run politically. And, and some of the things that they're credited with is education, public education. That was one of the things that they were doing. Um, public utilities, like taking care of the roads, um, those are things that they were involved in and they were being elected as well um, because they were part of government. And they started um, putting together land that they bought and building churches. They were carpenters. They were, they were using those skills to create businesses. And so that was a good time for them. And there's even reports where went right after the war, the, the area was kind of um, not so good because you had the remnants of war, you had um, overgrown areas. But a couple of years after that, it had changed because these people went to work and they 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 cleared up the area and they made uh, a really a good living for themselves and built houses and, and started moving into individual houses and being uh, land and homeowners, they were beginning to create a community. And I think to to go back to um, the Fagans for a moment, I think part of that experience 
is in there too of the Fagan, the the parents of Fagans, um, Samuel and Sylvia or Sulrico. Um, it goes both ways with the with David Fagan's mother's name. I'm going to repeat that. So <laughs> we can edit it here. So going back to the Fagans and David's parents moved right during this time period, and they also experienced that kind of success where Samuel Fagan, David's father was able to grow a business. He was able to start employing people. So as we imagine the world that David was born into, are there specific churches, um, you know, roads that are still intact today? What kind of monuments can we talk about to this era? Well, Mount Sinai Church was built. And what I love about that particular story is that Dorcas Bryant was a woman and she was a washer woman. Okay. Meaning that after um, slavery, she decided as opposed to being inside the house, she wanted to go into business for herself and wash clothes because she could do that at home. Well, building up enough money, she also bought 60 some acres of land and her son became a carpenter. One of, one of them also was appointed to uh, a city po- political position and she donated the land to a church and then her son built the church. So that's the, the time frame. That was what was going on during that time frame. Now, in, in fact, the reason reconstruction is at first when I was a child, I didn't understand what that meant. OK, what is reconstruction? But reconstruction was a time to rebuild. And that's what they were doing. And they were rebuilding at such a positive and wonderful rate, it caused some alarm. And that is the reason that Jim Crow started happening, because it was happening um, and creating some concern around the country. So they started trying to eliminate that. And I think that's what happened with Fagan, from what I could read about him, is that he came along during the time frame when they were trying to control that growth and went into the service and found out that um, he was fighting against something that apparently he didn't believe in because he was he saw where his people were not being treated very well. He didn't have the opportunities that that he could relate to um, the opposition because they were fighting for what he wanted. Exactly. And so David Fagan, uh, for context for people that <laughs> don't know my interest already in him, um, he was a soldier in the Spanish-American War, and he eventually defected in the Philippines after deciding that he did not want to fight in America's imperial wars. And so I'm really interested in where part of that psychology comes from. Um, he was born approximately in 1880, and so he grew up um, at the very tail end of the century. So, you know, are there any kinds of examples of... Um, let's say African-Americans in Tampa in prominence that slowly those positions shifted away. Like what change was happening at the tail end of the century? Um, Oh, well, at the, at the turn of the century, like at the very beginning, they were creating businesses. They were, um, thriving in that respect, but something that really gave them a, a kickstart 
is in 1912, um, Booker T. Washington came into the area. He was on a tour around the country to key cities and, and really talking about Black people starting their own businesses. And, and it worked because there is, it's documented that the, the business growth took off in, in the various places after he left. And um, National Negro Business League is what he called it. And I, I was really thrilled to see some names that I recognized, one of which being the Shehais. Now, there are schools named after the Shehais right now. And they have um, family members that are still in the area and quite prominent. One is a doctor. And seeing that link between that time frame and today is quite fascinating that they were a part of making the changes that took place in the, in during that time frame. Um, they were pioneering. That's, and that was cool. That's, I mean, I, yeah, that's amazing. I, I like even being in New York City, which is where I'm from. Sometimes seeing the the names of like people you recognize, um, I guess I don't know as many famous you know legacy New Yorkers, but seeing people's legacy as you're saying um, is just amazing. It's amazing to see the people that are still around and from the past as well. Um, so I'm curious, going off of that, are there any other examples of families or institutions? Um, prominent leaders before Booker T. Washington's visit? You know, are there any other names that come to mind as well? Yeah. Um, Madam Fortune Taylor and I think Marshall, those two, Fortune Taylor was married to um, Ben Fortune, Ben Taylor, I'm sorry. And those two families apparently started the citrus industry here. They grew fruit. Um, Fortune was credited with having 70 trees and the other person had 80. And because of their success, people started coming into the area to exploit that industry. So I know that um, Florida is known for the citrus industry and, you know, we've had all the commercials over the years and what have you, but it's kind of fascinating to know that it was these people who took a chance on something that had not been done in the area because what was really prominent during that time frame was cotton and cattle and things like that, but they weren't planting trees. And so when they did that and had success with it, it caused other people with large sums of money to come in and want to do the same thing on a, on a bigger scale. And even in the history, in some of the writings, they talk about exploiting that. Um, which means they 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 really saw that it was successful and wanted to do a whole lot more on a grander scale. And you know what happens when big business comes in or big money comes in. Yeah. And, you know, that brings up two big questions I was thinking about. Um, I guess more broadly, first of all, when we're talking about Tampa, we kind of moved past this, but Tampa at the end of the 19th century, the very beginning of the 20th century, how can we imagine its place in Florida? Not just geographically, but, you know, what was its prominence to Florida? Um, it seems in a way that uh, Tampa and local Tampa residents inspired business. They inspired, um, you know, growth. But go ahead. What what was Tampa's place in Florida? 
Okay, so one of the things that happened is the Plant Hotel and the um, Henry Plant bringing in the the railroad. And we think of Henry Plant and we think of the railroad, but we don't think of who actually put those things in place. We think of um, Tampa Hotel, but we don't think in terms of who actually built it. Um, <clears throat> so the way that I look at it, that he had a big dream that came true, but the people that made it come true are the workers, the laborers that actually had the skills to build those things. And and a large number, a large percentage of those people were Black men that did it. And so they were able to use those skills because they were quite needed. Um, and then once the railroad was here, you had the cigar industry that took off um, because you have shipping and you have um, the railroad. So from in the connection to Key West, in some cases, they they brought in the the tobacco that was made in the cigars here and then put on the railroad to go north. So this became a, a place that grew quite rapidly because of that. And also, um, backing up a little bit, the same thing happened with the Spanish-American War. I mean, well, you know, with the Buffalo soldiers coming in and going down to um, Cuba. I'm sorry, going down to Cuba in 1898 during that time frame. You, you're talking 30-some thousand people coming in and in this area, getting staged to go someplace else. And so it was um, a camp for soldiers. And they were everywhere from what they said. And and that in itself created a different climate because you had Black soldiers with guns. Um, Black soldiers with guns and a sense of entitlement because they felt like they should be treated with, with greater respect than what most people in the area had seen before. So that um, was... It had to change the whole temperament of, of the area because these people wanted to be treated equally to everybody else. And um, it was a lot of them around. They came from all over the country because they needed these people to go down to Cuba. Now, there was a, a myth about them being able to withstand mos mosquito and the yellow fever and all of that. Um, that's why they recruited so many black people from all over the country. And they came through here. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, first of all, I think it is a really good encapsulation of the importance of Tampa that pretty much the whole U.S. Army came to this one spot. It had strategic importance, but like you said, there had to be a railroad. There had to be the logistics there as well. So if we can imagine for a moment and, and delve into what you were just talking about, the soldiers... You know, for someone like a young man like David Fagan to see all these Buffalo soldiers, these black soldiers um, that demanded respect, what do you think it did for the community at the time? Well, there's nothing greater than seeing something that improves your mental status about what you think you can be or how you can improve your condition. So for him to see men, um, in control or in the appearance of in control of their lives, in control of their 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 sense of of pride, it had to be something that would make him 
want to be a part of that. And there's also something, uh, I have to give you a, a scenario. Someone was talking about the the uh, soldiers that came in for the war. And two or three times I heard someone say, well, they just came in and went to Ybor City and had a good time. Or they just went, they did this and they did this. And I got upset. So I said, look, you can either include them in your history or you can leave them out, but don't make fun of them because you're depicting them as that doesn't give credit to to the value that they had. They came in and they saved that situation for Roosevelt. They did. And what I read is that they were great horsemen. It's it, we we think in terms of cowboys being out west, but these people knew how to handle horses in a big way. And I have a picture right now where they're splashing in the water. And can you imagine what that looked like to be sitting on the bank and watching them um, bathe these horses and and control them and 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 be able to show such skill as horsemen? Had to be a fascinating sight to see. Yeah, and I think. I think that most of the regular, the professional soldiers there, as opposed to volunteers, were those soldiers, were the Buffalo soldiers who had been training and fighting out west. And like you said, um, had experience with horses, had experience in the Indian Wars. So it's really important to think about who is actually fighting and who actually has the experience in this war. Now... I'm curious. So you mentioned you mentioned the legacy of um, the soldiers in Tampa. Just as an aside, you know, what do you think the legacy of the encampments of the Spanish-American War is in Tampa today? Well, we know that the Buffalo Soldiers are pretty highly regarded and um, they even have a club. And actually, I think there are two different kinds of clubs. There's a, a military historical club and then there's a, a motorcycle club. And both of them wear the same colors. And they, I, I personally don't know that much about the difference. I, I documented um, an event that the motorcycle club had here in Tampa, and that was really quite a lot of fun. <laughs> but there is such a great deal of pride in the fact that they go back to that long history of being of value as a named group of people. Um, and there was also a connection to when Blacks found out that they were free here in the Tampa Bay area over, it was May 5th, May 6th, um, after the, the war ended. They came through while there was a cattle run and um, took down the cannons. I mean, blew them up, not didn't blow them up, but they, they shot them in and they sunk one of the ships on the Hillsborough River and basically, that was the end. That's when people found out that they were freed here in Tampa. Well, one of those groups were um, a cavalry that came in, and they were black. Wow. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, that, that really strikes me. So I'm thinking, 
practically about David Fagan again. So this was a man who signed up for the army. Actually, let's let's pause there really quickly. Why would uh, a young man, someone 18, 19, like David Fagan, enlist in the army? What opportunities were in Tampa? Um, and why might it have been more advantageous to enlist? Well, you know, that's the question, because I have to tell you, um, when you asked me to be a part of this this conversation, I had read about Fagan before, and I, I made a mental note that he was a fascinating person. But as, as I went back to review the information, that's my question. It's like, why? Not so much that he would enlist. I could see that. I think that's part of the conversation that we've had so far. There is that sense of pride, that sense of skill, that sense of um, seeing something that is that gives you a sen- sense of self self worth, but the question of why did he defect? That's the big question. Why did he leave his country, join the opposition, and then ambush the people he worked with? I mean that he 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 was with before. I mean, that that was amazing because that meant that he he helped get rid of or attempted to people that he worked side by side in, in the military with. So it had to be horrible. Something really went down that was not good. Yeah. So that is the mystery of the history. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you basically created my thesis, right? <laughs> and so... I have some theories, but I'm going to turn around to you for a moment. What other opportunities would there have been? It can be economic. It could be um, lifestyle opportunities. You know, what opportunities, if any, would have been available for a young man like David had he returned to Tampa after the war? Well, um, The opportunity was there to create services and render um, his service to to both blacks and whites. But at the time that he returned, Jim Crow was in, in, in full swing. So they weren't getting the same kind of... Um, money or opportunities that would have been there before he left and later on, quite frankly. Um, that's that's it for me. I mean, in terms of what I'm thinking about in, in terms of the opportunity for him. And so what would have been, to put it basically, what would have been the problems for him to stay? Why, why would he have not wanted to go back to Tampa specifically, or Florida? Or well, the I I think part of it would be the same thing as what happens after most wars, um, after World War One, World War Two, for for Black people as well. I would imagine that it was somewhat the same. Is after you've had an opportunity to show that you are a man, being a part of a war. And then you come back and you have to cow down to other people. That can't be a good feeling. 
And because they they even gave a name to um, African-Americans or blacks with guns. They called them the Win- Winchester, and I'm not going to say the rest of it. But they created a sense of fear around blacks with guns and um, turned them into villains to be afraid of, when in fact all they were were military people returning with a sense of um, awareness of their skills, awareness of their 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 abilities in general, and awareness of the rest of how different parts of the world can be as well, that there was something outside of Tampa. Yeah, I think that's really well said, um, especially because David Fagan, not only did he go to Cuba, and you could say, you can say travel the world, he also went to New York to recuperate. Um, he went to the West, uh, into Utah, and saw, I don't know if he, he would have ever seen snow before, um, you know, leaving from Tampa and, and going to Cuba. Um, so he really did travel the world, and he returned to Tampa for a short period of time. Um, and so I think it's quite logical that he would have re-enlisted, that he would have wanted to basically have power and have the ability to travel all the way across the Pacific to the Philippines, which we also will get into in more depth um, in other episodes. But, you know, I do think that there's this um, deep frustration and and rage um, as he continues to fight because there's records of him being docked pay, being punished, being put in a, a provost guard. And so to enlist, to leave Tampa and his kind of childhood home um, and to try and get more respect and power and then be denied that, I think really did have a deep psychological effect, which we could talk for a long period of time about. But zooming into Tampa specifically, David Fagan, like I said, returned to Tampa for a short trip basically to pay his respects to his father who had passed away and to see his family. So he decided to leave. I'm imagining, though, if he wrote letters home to his siblings, if he had any kind of communication or thought of them, and you alluded to this before with uh, Booker T. Washington, but since some of his siblings do appear to have stayed in Tampa, how did Tampa change at the beginning of the 20th century. So 1900 to the early, you know, 19 teens, what was life like there? Well, um, there is some speculation that took place as well when um, some people came in and they, they subdivided and created subdivisions for African-Americans and something called the scrubs cap happened. And, um, it 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 doubled. I mean, and tripled. I mean, the, the the number of people that were there just took off, and um, the living conditions, in some cases, were not as good. And um, it would be like the modern day urban plight happened at some point too. Um, I can't can't say enough about the the resistance to 
some of the things that were taking place in terms of African-Americans and where they were, as Tampa began to grow, African-Americans had the northern part of the city kind of blocked off. So there was some resistance to their being there. Um, and I would imagine that he began to, to feel some of that as well. So the north, or his family did. to clarify, the northern part of the city was blocked off to African Americans because entering. blacks owned it. So they owned a lot of the land. Okay, so so they um, tried to keep it. I guess in modern parlance, from let's say being well, so kind of keep it from um, being bought out. Being, you know, it's a, it's an inexact comparison, but like almost being gentrified in a way or taken over. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Uh, I, it, yeah. it, it, it's old, well, I'm just trying to like, so so what did that mean? Like when you say it was blocked off, can you explain in a little bit more depth? Um, that on the outskirts of the, the city of Tampa, black people own a lot of that land. Okay. Um, so there was an effort to, to buy it back, to get it back. Um, and there was some resentment that surfaced. Okay. So the other thing that I forgot to ask about before, but I think is still interesting to get a sense of the place in which David lived and a sense of the area is besides, you know, business and, and building and growing the community. What did people do to enjoy themselves? David was a, a big musician, but you know, what could a, let's say Saturday night or Friday night be like in Tampa? Okay. So, <laughs> In the order in which there was a focus, it's my understanding that it was churches first, then schools, then businesses. And when the businesses happened, that's where the social life came in as well. Um, what came out of that era was Central Avenue. That grew out of Blacks being in that area. So it grew to be what people call the Harlem of the South, meaning that um, there was a strip, Central Avenue, where there was all those businesses and people came in from all over the country that were pretty prominent. That being, um, you'll hear about James Brown, you hear about the Adley brothers were born here, um, Ray Charles. Ella Fitzgerald. So that the the area in which blacks lived during that time grew to be Central Avenue, which was the entertainment hub for the entire area. Um, and I and I I find it interesting is that as they were planning for growth in general, they had anchor businesses. At first, the 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 anchor was a church. They talked about if if you build this church, then you can buy the land adjacent to it, and then you build a community based on that. Um, and then you have people 
on Central Avenue. That they came because of the the entertainment, the 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 business district, basically for African Americans or Blacks. So, um, where they lived, they lived completely from from spiritual to entertainment in general. Awesome. So, I think that's a really good place to start wrapping up and to think about the legacy, like we've mentioned before, of this time period. So we mentioned a a few buildings and business, um, but what else can we take from David Fagan's lifetime, from around the turn of the century, the 1890s, end end of the 19th century to the early 20th century? You know, what of that time period still matters today in Tampa? Um, what matters is the, the fact that, and, and I found this really fascinating, that when Reconstruction ended, what was left behind was the, the processes were set in place on how to run a city. And um, also the the buildings that were created, they were built by by black people and, and for the most part. Um, the industries, the the um, cigar industry, when that was created, you had railroad, a railroad coming in here that was bringing it, people from elsewhere because they thought that this was the area to, to be. They'd heard about the prosperity that was going on. And um, it set in motion what caused Tampa to, to explode in growth. That's, I mean, that's a really interesting way to describe. I rephrase that. I think that's so interesting to think about because when I'm thinking specifically about David Fagan, and his father was a business owner, you know, you have this kind of image of someone who's being born as this modern city is kind of being born or in its adolescence or whatever word you want to use. But so, you know, you think about someone being raised as a city is kind of being raised and grown. So I really like that idea of the foundation. Before we completely wrap up, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to discuss anything that you wish I had asked you? Well, <laughs> not so much that you had asked me, but when there were a time when we were talking about um, what took place that allowed people to find out that they were free. What I did not mention that I really f- love is that on the University of Tampa's campus, there's something called the, the, a sign that was called the Spanish Fort. And it depicts the night that that took place. So the history needs to be told such that people understand what really took place um, because it is, it's wrapped up in a lot of um, hidden messages that are not explored 
And and I I really appreciate appreciate a conversation like this because it caused me to go back and look at Fagan a little bit more too, and and I will probably um, study him just a, a bit more. But when I think in terms of what life must have been like, I think of today. Um, my book, African Americans of Tampa. There's a favorite page in there that has people on a construction site and and a photographer took a picture of them on a construction site and it was like three stories in the ground. And when you look at that, it's not listed as something about African-Americans. It's just a construction site. But when I really look at it, it's filled with African-Americans and they were building the sewer system or the drainage system for what is now Davis Island. They don't get credit for that because they were not the construction company. They were their employees, but they made that happen. And that is what I think of when I realized that they did the same thing for uh, the, the Tampa Bay Hotel, which is now the University of Tampa. So all over the city, when I see these huge structures, these solid structures, they were built by unknown people. And those unknown people are the ancestors of the people that are here today. And um, so when I think in terms of Fagan, uh, it makes me wonder who those people are in general, because they probably have descendants walking around here, too, that have been disconnected with whatever he and his parents did to enhance the area of their time. Because even if we think about what he did, it was he defected, but that, like today, created legends, right? So people like to know that somebody has the courage to just do something bold and brass and, and unexpected. What did that do for the self-esteem of certain individuals? In one case, it may have been bad because they then try to demonize his relatives, but he outwitted um, an army because they say they caught him, but did they really? That That is not necessarily um, proven. They brought in what was supposed to be his, his last effects and, and what have you, and, and supposedly a body part, but they, could, they couldn't prove that because there was a sighting of a supposedly a sighting of him or a notation about him several months after he was supposed to have been killed. So who knows what he ultimately ended up doing where he was. It, there's a story yet to be told and, and, and finding out that he even existed now brings the question of, okay, how do we find out the rest of the story? Is it possible to find out the rest of the story? And I think that's a really good way to end and specifically to talk about your book and to talk about the importance of how we remember history, how we take notes of history or of images and what those artifacts mean. So I will let you take over for a moment. If people enjoyed your research and your perspective, where can they find more of your work? Okay, you can find two places that I, I would like you to go. One, my website, sulatu.com, S-U-L-A-T-O-O, 
com. And then the other is YouTube. I've created a series of videos uh, talking about and interviewing different people about history and their lives. Because when when I interview someone and they tell me about who they are, th- tomorrow they're history. You know, that's I often say to people that if you're looking at the president of the United States, whichever one we're talking about, then before that person became president, it was just a family story. But, you know, at any given moment, anybody's history can become the world history. So I like to capture it. And on my YouTube channel, I have several different things that I've done there that several of them are local, even national legends that I've interviewed. Um, There are some legacy videos that are there. One person was the first black woman to attend the Olympics in 1948 and she competed and she was from Tampa. That's another good uh, history, but not only legacy of Tampa. And I'm just curious, what's her name? That was Teresa Manuel. Okay, awesome. So if you liked what you heard today, I then I suggest starting with perhaps the Teresa Manuel conversation on is Sula to YouTube. Uh, if you if you go to YouTube and search. Sula, S-U-L-A, space, T-O-O, that'll get you there. Or pound sign, Sula, the number two, live. Sula, two, live. Wonderful. Okay. And if you enjoyed my voice, you can also subscribe here as well. This is Turn of the Century. And please review, tell your friends, spread the word. It really helps us talk to more amazing guests. Thanks so much, Ursula. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to hearing from you soon.